0: Three parables of Jesus from Luke 15 are the focus of our discussion of reconciliation. When we paused for a quick break, we were hearing the parable of the prodigal son. We'll continue with that parable now. Here's George. But the father said to
1: his servants, Bring out the best robe, and put it on him, and a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Jesus shows us ourselves and our relationship to God in this story. We are given what we demand as our own, even when we are not its creator. And we leave home and the Father to do as we wish. With it. And in that day, as in ours, this means narcissistic self indulgence. Then, as now, it consumes our wealth and leaves us destitute. The prodigal found himself living with pigs, and there he realized his foolishness and turned from it. This was the moment of repentance, literally. He decides to head back home, not demanding rights, but humbly, realizing the Father treats even the servants better than he's living now, hoping just to become one of them. Now here comes the fundamental truth. Jesus is teaching the response of the Father. He does not stand aloof, looking away. His arms are not folded, his foot tapping impatiently, his brow furrowed in disgust. Rather, he sees the sun from a great distance and runs to him. He has compassion. He pulls him close and tightly embraces him. That's what fell on his neck means. He kisses him. The son repeats to the father what he has realized of his failing his sin. He is speaking his repentance aloud, although it had happened in his heart before he even began his journey. The father knew simply by the son's return that this had occurred, and he rejoiced. Shaming doesn't follow nor does punishment. There is no humiliation or wounding. No earning of forgiveness is required. No proof before forgiveness is extended. No repayment demanded. The Father's unbridled love is pure grace, unmerited favor, and it is neither grudging nor measured. It is joyful and abundant. The prodigal is given a clean robe, sandals, and a ring signifying sonship. He is restored beyond his wildest imaginings by a father who loves him more than he can even conceive. That moment of embrace and kiss the love of the Father, and the restoration of the lost Son, that wide, boundless, safe, open, and complete reconciliation, that is the good news. All the rest is commentary. All the way back in chapter 2, I talked about salvation. This is it. It is being reconciled to God, and it comes not through our efforts to be good or right, but by the love of God. When we realize our distance from Him, how we have wasted what we have received, and realized at last that life with the Father, even in its most humble forms, is better than life with the pig's. Then he willingly restores us joyfully with abundance with sonship. That is salvation. That is what the name Jesus means in his very name and in his teachings, life, love, and sacrifice. He is the author and finisher of reconciliation because our faith in him brings all of us before him together. He is the foundation we can all stand upon together. He is the one who can bring unity to all believers. All who know this love can stand adjacent together before the throne, fully reconciled, though they differ in religious concepts, doctrine, worship, polity, and all the rest. They honor each other's tribe and even honor what is important to that tribe, even when it is not essential to salvation or sanctification or glorification. They watch out for and protect each other rather than themselves. They do not fight over the pedigree of the other's fellowship. They cling to the essential, which is the reconciling love of God that Jesus offers and the life in Christ that it initiates. They enter into covenant with him. They listen And do simply as Jesus said love God, neighbor, and even enemy. Treat others the way you want to be treated. People matter, things don't. There is no yes, but. There is confession, repentance, stopping, forgiveness, love, and unity in the one who came to reconcile all of us to God and to keep us in his covenant. Listen to this once again from John 17, starting in verse 20, when Jesus is praying for his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, Note that Jesus promises there that we will receive his glory in order that we may be one as he and the Father are one. When we divide, when we separate from each other, when we refuse to love each other or to have the unity that Jesus prayed for, we also refuse his glory. More, we prevent it. We are doing the opposite of what he prayed for, for us. The one who came to reconcile all of us to God prays that we would be one. This truly is good news. Let's choose to live it, beginning now.
0: Well, if the exhortations of this session weren't challenging enough, we conclude this section on reconciliation with a reminder from John 17 that one of the ways the world knows God is by our unity. That's a challenge, and it's a bit of an indictment on the church today when reconciliation can be so difficult to achieve. Thank you, George. This has been a very challenging section. If you want to go back and review some of the material in the book, we invite you to do so. Maybe take your time. Look at some of the passages. There's many footnotes. There's a full appendix where you can do further research into the basis of some of these statements that we've been hearing today. You can get your copy of the book at whatwebelieveandwhy.com. The book is available there, as well as study guide resources, large group resources for studying, and past programs so that you can review some of the concepts that have led up to where we are today. And we invite you to join us next time we get together. More material to cover. We hope you'll be there with us for what we believe and why.